0: You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Today, as Nepal's Prime Minister warns that the death toll from last weekend's earthquake could reach 10,000, we ask why his country was so ill-prepared for a disaster that had long been predicted. But we begin in Greece, where Alexis Tsipras' left-wing government remains in a tense standoff with its international creditors. Mr Tsipras this week admitted that his government had made mistakes in its effort to renegotiate the terms of its 240 billion euro bailout from the International Monetary Fund and the European institutions. And he announced that his controversial and flamboyant finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, would no longer play the lead role in negotiations over the bailout. So what does it all mean? And what will it take for Greece to strike a deal with its creditors before it runs out of money? To discuss this, I'm joined from Athens by our correspondent, Damien Muckinola, from Strasbourg by our European correspondent, Suzanne Lynch, and here in studio by the Irish Times foreign policy editor, Patrick Smith. Damien Muckinola, can I ask you, what exactly is going on in Athens?
1: Well, what happened yesterday was the, we <clears throat> we received the news that the uh, finance minister, Yanis Arafakis, the, the country's mercurial, flamboyant uh, finance minister, he's been essentially... Demoted in a way, in that he won't—he will no longer be leading the country's negotiations with the with the uh, with the lenders or the former troika, as, as, as they were known. Uh, Varoufakis has been a very controversial figure, um, uh, coming from relative, moving from being a relatively unknown entity before he became minister in in, in the new uh, series of government in January to becoming possibly one of the best known uh, finance ministers in Europe. But it has been a very difficult and controversial path for him. He he he's moved from being really been seen as the linchpin of of the Greek government, the new Greek government's chances of securing a deal with the with its creditors, to becoming, uh, in the words of one analyst, uh, the government's Achilles' heel. So uh, that really came to a head uh, last week in Riga at a Eurogroup meeting in in in, in the Latvian capital, where it it, it became very obvious that Varoufakis had lost all um, confidence, had lost the confidence of his Eurozone uh, colleagues. It was a very difficult meeting. Um, uh, he, 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 he he was accused of of <coughs> derailing the, the, the talks by some of his colleagues, and with the, with the result that he didn't even te- attend the post-Eurogroup uh, uh, dinner with with these fellow finance ministers. So um, uh, yesterday, Alexis Tsipras moved Acted on that, and he announced that uh, Varoufakis would, no, would not be leading the, the negotiations, and he, he handed <coughs> the, the coordination of Greece's uh, talks with the lenders to um, another minister, another economist, Ypsilantis, uh, who apparently is viewed with, in, in a much better light uh, by, by, by the former troika. Um, now, whether he whether he will be able to. Whether that will fundamentally change the Greece's position is is is, is questionable but it certainly will introduce the new, uh, it has introduced a new uh, factor to the equation and there has been some positive reaction, at least from the European side to that.
0: Now, now Damien, uh, Alexis Cyprus, although he did make this move and effectively sidelining Varoufakis, he also defended him in this very lengthy television interview that he gave um, this week and he said that uh, that part of it, he thought, was this kind of negative negotiating game that the Europeans were playing and that part of the game, as he put it, is to deconstruct the who sits opposite you at the negotiation table, and so this suggestion that uh, the Europeans were effectively taking Varoufakis out—is there any truth in that? Do you think, or is that a, a view that would be widely shared in Greece?
1: Uh, it, it would, to a certain extent. I mean, you're right. <coughs> uh, Tsipras did—he uh, gave a very long interview last night, uh, uh, almost three hours in length. It started at eleven thirty and went on till till all hours. So. Uh, which is something common here, but he he did describe Yanis Varoufakis as a valuable asset. Uh, he spoke very highly of him, um, um, and and he did say that you know that uh, Greece's partners have really been focusing on Varoufakis in a way to kind of uh, uh, undermine undermine the government. Uh, he also said that uh, Varoufakis had detractors within Greece. Uh, he said the people um, elements in the former. Government were acting like an internal troika uh, in, in undermining the government and in, in, in undermining uh, Varoufakis. Uh, Varoufakis, since becoming finance minister, has made a number of uh, PR blunders in the way which has dented his popularity within Greece. We, we, we can certainly say that uh, he, you know, giving interviews to glossy French magazines, uh, being was one was one of those uh, one of those mistakes. But the A lot of the... It has been clear for for the past number of weeks that very much, much of the attention, much of the criticism uh, being directed at Greece has really been focused on
0: On Varifakis as a person. Now, uh, Damien, all of this is happening against the background of uh, a really, really major fiscal crisis in Greece, in that the government is simply running out of money. It's been raiding various other parts of the government, local government. And uh, how close is Greece actually to running out of cash if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't uh, agree a deal with its creditors?
1: Well, you are right in saying that the the Greek government has been, in in, in recent weeks, it has passed, uh, last week it passed an emergency decree basically ordering um, state entities, uh, local governments, um, state agencies, uh, and and whatever, to transfer all their available cash reserves to a a central bank account uh, with the view of using that money to to meet Greece's obligations. So the the Greek government points out that it has paid... It has managed to pay €6 billion euros, uh, since coming to power uh, to meet the country's obligations without receiving a cent uh, from the creditors. You know, Greece hasn't received any money from the creditors since uh, August of last year. This, this issue predates the, the, the election. Um, but analysts say that with that money that, that, it, that is coming in, uh, they, the government should be able to hold out until the end of, end of May. But to meet uh, increased external obligations in June, it will have to get uh, additional sources of money, and that that money can only really come from from outside uh, after after exhausting uh, all internal um, in, in, in internal sources. So uh, the government could. The, the state the Greek state could certainly hold out until until the end of may but uh, it will definitely need an injection of cash
0: and, and these external uh, obligations that. these external obligations that you're talking about are basically paying uh, back some of their debts uh, to yeah, the I mean, IMF they, have, been paying, they
1: have as I said they have they, they've, they've been paying making payments in February March uh, April and they, 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 they will be able to make payments uh, in May of about 1.2 billion to pay in may uh, but uh, with the money that they're commandeering, you could say, from, from state agencies, that will just be enough to keep them
0: going until the end of the month. Now, uh, during this, the course of this lengthy interview last night, Damien, did Mr Tsipras give any indication that he's preparing the Greek people for a climb-down on the part of his government where the European negotiations are concerned?
1: Well, if he, if, if he is, he didn't spell it out in that way. What he, what he did say, he did emphasise again that the you know that he, he well first of all he said he really believes that uh, Greece could secure a deal within the next week or two although I should I should qualify that by pointing out that that has generally been the line since the, the government came to power that the, the prime minister has always been has always expressed himself very optimistically about securing a, a deal with it with it, in, in 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 the short uh, time frame. No, he didn't. Uh, he he did say that the government still has its red lines, you know. So there are some issues that it says that it can't really compromise. You know, it says it has a mandate to protect, uh, you know, to protect uh, against mass layoffs from fac- from from the workplace, and it has a mandate uh, not to make any pension cuts. But uh, he did say that if if he did suggest, or it certainly give a strong hint, that if things came to a crunch, well then he would have to he would have to seek a new mandate now he ruled out going back to the electorate uh with uh, with the with the with the request for elections but he said that he he held open the possibility of holding a referendum on on um on Greece's path now that's that's quite that, that's he didn't get into too much detail on that um, and it will be interesting to see how that could materialize what what would that mean in practice because the greek constitution forbids referendums on fiscal issues but allows referendums on critical national uh, or uh, on national issues or issues of, of social concern so he certainly Greece's position within the euro or Greece's uh, stance on negotiations could be spawned as something of critical national importance and then put the electorate in a referendum but uh, he didn't give any more details than that. Uh,
0: Suzanne Lynch but, in uh, Strasbourg uh, how happy will Greece's European partners be to see the back of uh, Mr. Varoufakis at least in his uh, role as lead negotiator.
2: Um, I say they'll be very happy indeed to see see uh, the back from him in, in that capacity. Although we do have to remember he is still going to be uh, the finance minister. Um, but in saying that, yes, there's been no secret of the fact that um, the relations between the Eurogroup of finance ministers and Mr. Varoufakis have been very, very bad. Um, in particular, um, from the very beginning, we saw Mr. Dijsselbloem, the head of the Eurogroup. He, um, from the very outset of this process, you could see the tension between himself and Mr. Varoufakis. They did not get on well. Um, and then we've seen a number of finance ministers in the last few weeks, even, not just the, um, the usual suspects like Finland and Germany, who've been traditionally quite Strongly um, against further leniency for Greece, but we also see other finance ministers of the Eurogroup. For example, the Belgian finance minister came out a few weeks ago criticising um, the Greek um, stance. Um, As did the Slovenian and Slovakia. These kind of countries also. So I think we're seeing um, this kind of sense that that all the finance ministers around the table were getting frustrated. There were reports of a kind of. Um, lectures from Mr Varoufakis at these meetings and a lot of people on the fringe of these meetings were saying, look, this is politics. He's not in the lecture hall here. We're politicians as well. We have to run a country and we need to see him coming with more details and more specifics about how this reform programme is going to progress.
0: Uh, What room is there, Suzanne, on the European side for any compromise with Greece? Uh, If you hear what Damien has been saying about what the red lines are for, uh, for the Greek government, is there any room that you can see for compromise there?
2: Yeah, well, the the broad framework of the discussion seems to be focusing on a number of issues, things like pension reforms, labour market reforms, and I think the Eurogroup are going to see need to see some kind of movement on this from the Athens side. But I think we could see a bit of leeway from the Eurogroup on the issue of the primary surplus. Uh, this has been um, uh, a positive in the Greek story for the last while as they were emerging from their second bailout, at the end of last year, and it looks like the Eurogroup might be able might sanction um, a smaller primary surplus uh, if we could um, just uh,
0: describe it uh, the primary surplus is the uh, the budget surplus that Greece has if you exclude uh, its exactly. debt payments
2: kind of a current uh, surplus if you like year to year and this has been a figure that the eurogroup have been demanding from Greece and it looks like they would be able to they may accept a lower figure essentially now we see, and what's coming into play here is I think France for example um, on a it, in parallel to this has been a lot of debate about each country's targets under the the European Commission's budget plans each year. France has been consistently missing those targets and has been given extra leeway by the Eurogroup. So the French um, one of the French ministers last week, Mr. Sapin, seems to suggest that he would be prepared to sanction more leeway for Greece. So the implication being if France is going to get some leeway, well then Greece is going to need to get something as well. So we may see some kind of development on this. Um, but I mean, I think we do also have to remember, yes, the negotiations are going on in the framework of the Eurogroup but the ECB still have a presence here. Um, You were just talking about those debts that are coming up in June and July. That's another debt hump uh, that Greece is facing. And the majority of those are repayments to the ECB. So I think the ECB are still um, putting the strings here, or could pull the strings if they wanted. They, after all, have put limits uh, on the amount of uh, T-bills Greek banks can hold. And and Mr. Tsipras, it's specifically criticised that again in a interview on Monday evening. So again, the ECB are there in the background, not saying very much, but they could um, make a move in either direction at any point, really.
0: And time is running out to get a deal. And I wonder, Suzanne, how far do you think that the uh, Europeans, uh, both the uh, institutions like the ECB and the Commission on the one side, and the member state governments, would be prepared to push this where Greece is, Greece is concerned? Are they actually prepared to Countenance, uh, Greek Greece leaving the euro.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is, the, this is the central question, really, and it's, a, it's an existential question, I suppose, about the future of Europe and the future of the Eurozone, because technically, financially, the Eurozone probably could weather a Greek exit. Yes, there would be implications. Yes, there may be a degree of contagion, but they, there's a sense that it's nowhere near as serious as a prospect as it would have been two or three years ago. But I think politically, the will is still there from people like German Chancellor Angela Merkel to keep Greece in the Eurozone. She does not want to go down in history as the the Chancellor who stood over the breakup of the euro, essentially. I do think still that the Russian issue is still a a huge geopolitical concern for countries like Germany. Um, Mr. Tsipras has been cleverly, and a lot of it is probably optics, but he has been keeping the channels of communication open with Moscow, Um, Now, whether Moscow would have the money to to give to Greece um, if Greece was to leave the euro is is one thing. But I do think it is it is another factor that wasn't there during the last Greek crisis. That was before the the Ukraine issue. So I think that could, again, weigh on decision making that ultimately, you know, the euro group will do as much as possible politically to keep to keep Greece
3: in.
0: Paddy Smith, how dangerous is this for Europe right now? I think that there's a
3: very strong element of posturing on both sides going on. Uh, we've seen a lot of, of commentary in the German press and in in, in, uh, in uh, Europe generally about how um, Germany is 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 prepared to see a Grexit and is actually r- ready to weather it. The figures, I think, are, are that Germany is perhaps uh, due some seventy billion of the 240 billion Greek debt and that is a manageable figure if were Greece to repudiate the debt completely and on, on the Greek side there's an interesting argument going on and has all, all along inside Syriza saying we should just get out of the, Euro, the eurozone and uh, to some extent again that is that is um, uh, I I think both post, both positions are are to do with negotiations posturing in the negotiations to strengthen the hand uh, to say, all right, okay, you walk away if you want, but uh, you know it's not the end of the world as far as we're concerned, and it strengthens your hand uh, at the table. In in Greece's terms, I think that there's an underestimation, serious underestimation, in sections of the Greek left on, on of the effects of of setting up a new Greek currency, of the fact that that uh, the reality that that would fall catastrophically, uh, with the effect that Greek debt outside the country would balloon and and would be even more difficult for for Greece to repay and most importantly, it would be impossible for Greece to trade because nobody is going to trade with them if they don't see any prospect that that, that their overseas payments uh, are going going to be met. So I I I think there is a danger of of Grexit, but I think there's a political imperative there underlying it all, which says on the Greek side and on the European side that says we really want to hold things together uh, for the sake of the Europe. But
0: isn't the problem with brinkmanship uh, of the kind that you're describing that it can sometimes go Go out of control of you know that the that the two protagonists can lose control over the game they're playing. Yes,
3: I think that that is a serious uh, serious danger. Uh, on the other hand, we have uh, we have, on certainly on the European side, people who are, are are well used to playing this game, and and I think that that uh, they will not want to push it too far. And I think that they the there is an awful lot, for example, of of the stuff the, the talk about Varoufakis. Uh, everybody knows, really, that, that that Varoufakis isn't the issue. That the issue is the underlying. Policies of of the Tsaritsa government, and um, that shuffling the chairs at the negotiating table isn't actually going to make much difference. I, I think there's a, a fairly clear understanding of all that, and you've got to also see that that Cyprus, um, uh, in 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 talking about. Uh, the Greek position has, has spoken about really major concessions that the Greeks are prepared to make, like the sale of the port of, P- of Parias, of the leasing of, of 14 uh, regional uh, airports. Uh, that would raise very, very large sums of money. There are sort of red lines about pensions, um, which are, are problematic. But I, I suspect that that's an area where Europe may be, be prepared to give.
0: But uh, if, if we've just been hearing from uh, Suzanne that effectively Greece has no friends in the European Union union uh you know where the uh, among the member states or very few of them uh, in any case is all the fault on the greek side or uh, or, or or should the europeans be uh, a bit more accommodating i
3: think that sh- i think that they should be more accommodating i think that that uh, the, the price of uh, collapse of of grexit is is very substantial, and that that must be factored into the negotiating position of the European Union. But I frankly wouldn't really expect them to be showing much more of their hand at this this particular stage, and I wouldn't expect them to 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 break ranks at this stage. Although, uh, as Suzanne said, that the the French were showing a degree more. Uh, inclination to 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 con- make concessions.
0: And this issue that uh, Suzanne mentioned of Russia and the the fear of some kind of uh, contamination or a, a divide and uh, and weakened po- uh, approach from the the Russian side. How real is that? I think it's a concern and I think the Americans are concerned about it as
3: well. But let's also be clear that Mr. Putin doesn't really have a lot of money to throw around. And so expecting him to meet uh, some of the Greek debts is really unrealistic. Uh, I think that he may uh, he may show some goodwill, but I don't really believe that it's a
0: viable alternative for the Greeks. Damien Macanola, uh, can I ask you what uh, the Greek people uh, th- th- think about what they're witnessing now, on the, uh, both in terms of the behaviour of, of their own government and the attitude of Greece's European partners? What's public opinion saying?
1: Well, recent polls uh, polls since the since the government came to power have been telling us two things. One is that the government, the, go, the government remains pop, popular, although the pop, its popularity has has kind of uh, come down a little bit from 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 the initial euphoria uh, before and after the election. But it still is uh, it still is, it enjoys, you know, about half, about fifty percent of the population um, are, are, are you know so quite supportive of, of, of the government. Uh, but and the other thing that they also show is that. The vast majority of Greeks want Greece to remain in the euro. So uh, you're, you're you're talking about 70 to 80 percent of Greeks wanting to remain in the euro. Uh, another poll recently said that 72 percent also uh, believe that a deal would benefit Greece. I mean, it doesn't really ask what the what the what the what the ingredients of that deal would be, but it is clear that a deal would be of benefit to Greece because the 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 the, the, the Impasse is is is, is, strength, is, is asphyxiating, uh, the economy um, Syriza also remains the most popular party Its its, its popularity is up there around thirty six percent which is uh, co- quite high uh, for 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 the last five or six years in Greece so uh, this is the big thing that I think this is where Tsipras' proposal for a referendum is coming from because if he does have to do a deal um, if 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 it does come to a deal with with, with the European partners, uh, that will invariably involve some of the red lines being crossed. or some of the issues very close to the red lines being crossed? Uh, somebody mentioned the privatisations issue, where the government is showing itself to be a lot more flexible than uh, than it was before the before the elections. So the referendum idea, I think, is also um, about facing down possible dissent within his own party, and this is uh, this. I think this is Cyprus's. This would be Cyprus's biggest battle. It's not necessarily with the, with the Greek public. Uh, the public uh, wants they want uh, an understanding uh, with the partners. They want to keep. They want Greece to stay in the euro. Um, but within Syriza, uh, that breakdown wouldn't be quite as uh, uh, wouldn't the breakdown wouldn't reflect uh, public opinion. There still is quite a strong core within Syriza. That uh, wants Syriza to remain um, uh, to maintain its left-wing uh, stance. There are even some who say that it needs to swing more to the left if it wants uh, to be uh, if it wants to respect its uh, mandate. So, the referendum idea, I think, has has a lot more to do with the uh, internal Syriza dissent.
0: Damien McAnally in Athens, Suzanne Lynch in Strasbourg, and Patrick Smith here in studio. Thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me, Dennis Staunton. The death toll from last Saturday's earthquake in Nepal is already in the thousands, and the country's Prime Minister, Sushil Korala, has warned that it could reach 10,000. The United Nations estimates that up to 8 million people, a quarter of Nepal's population, have been affected by the quake, and although foreign aid is arriving, it's being held up by congestion at Kathmandu Airport. Meanwhile, water, food and electricity are in short supply, and a lack of equipment and expertise has meant that many calls for help have gone unanswered. Seismologists have been warning for years that Nepal was likely to be hit by a major earthquake, and that its overpopulated capital would be extremely vulnerable to such a shock. So why was the country not better prepared, and how well equipped is its government to deal with the disaster now? To discuss this, I'm joined from Delhi by our correspondent Rahul Bedi, and Patrick Smith is still with me here in studio. Rahul, could you tell us something briefly first about Nepal itself?
4: Well, Nepal is—it uh, has a population of about uh, 28 million, and a uh, majority of them are very poor. Um, its fa- It's very underdeveloped. Uh, it's very vast, it's a mountainous country, uh, it has the highest mountain in the world, uh, Mount Everest, uh, on its territory. Um, and uh, um, it's mainly dependent on tourism and, and mountain tourism, um, which um, is, is, is its main uh, bread earner. Uh, but it's very underdeveloped, it has very little industry. Um, and uh,
0: it uh, really struggled uh, to survive. Now, the prime minister was just sworn in last year after a period of extraordinary political instability going back a number of decades. Could you take us through just a few of those events uh, from uh, the transition uh, from being a monarchy into the republic and what's been happening?
4: Well, for about 10 years, till about 2004, 2005, Nepal was racked by a Maoist insurgency, uh, which uh, claimed uh, in terms of uh, casualties uh, from this part of the world they weren't that heavy. They were about uh, eight, eight or 9,000. But for Nepal, they were tremendous. Uh, it also led to an abolition of uh, the monarchy uh, and the establishment of a republic. Um, but ever since then, in fact, over the last uh, eight or nine years, Pakistan, uh, uh, Nepal has been struggling uh, to develop uh, and uh, ins- install a constitution, but it hasn't been able to. And uh, even the prime minister, Kerala is uh, is uh, a very ill man. He is suffering from uh, uh, terminal cancer. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, political instability in Nepal, uh, on top of which uh, they've had to face this tragedy. And it's really everybody, at least in India and uh, in this region, is wondering how Nepal is really going to cope, because this is going to affect its fortunes for the next decade, if not more. Uh, And it will be entirely dependent on outside help.
0: And now, as you mentioned, it's an extremely poor country, but this uh, instability and the the fact that its government is such a fragile one, how great a problem is that going to be in terms of Nepal's response to the disaster that we've just witnessed? It's
4: going to be a major response because uh, Nepal doesn't really have the institutions that a lot of countries, in at least in South Asia like India or even countries like Sri Lanka uh, or Bangladesh have. Uh, a lot of its institutions are very, very fragile. Uh, they're very badly staffed, uh, inadequately staffed. Uh, and uh, in fact, there's been talk even on Indian television stations of India sending over officials to help the Nepalese through this crisis by installing their own officials. Uh, that's something that's uh, that's very controversial, because Nepal has always been very nervous about India and India's hegemonic uh, ambitions. Uh, but. The situation is so desperate that Nepal just might uh, have to resort to that. For example, the Indian Army and the Indian Air Force is one of the main um, uh, force in Nepal that is uh, in charge of humanitarian and rescue operations. Now, that in itself is a very controversial thing as far as the Nepalese are concerned, but uh, they are in a sense presented with a fait accompli.
0: And presumably any uh, major intervention by the Indians will also be rather controversial as far as the Chinese and Nepal's other neighbors are concerned.
4: Yes. In fact, uh, India considers Nepal its own backyard, and it uh, has, in fact, for the last uh, 40 or 50 years uh, considered uh, itself to be the big brother as far as Nepal is concerned. But over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, China has entered the picture, and Chinese influence uh, right across Nepal has grown, which has uh, angered India tremendously. And uh, our new prime minister, Prime Minister Modi, has been trying to uh, get this strategic space back. Uh, So it's a constant battle that is going on between Beijing and New Delhi uh, and is being fought in a sense uh, in a sort of a proxy war in Kathmandu. Uh,
0: Paddy Smith, uh, to what extent was this earthquake actually predictable?
3: Well, it's it's been very clear for for decades now um, that uh, Kathmandu uh, is on a fault line uh, of two major uh, tectonic plates. Um, The about 25 million years ago, the landmass that was India collided with the landmass that was Asia, and um, in the process created the the uh, Himalaya Mountains. It, it was the, the, the largest mountain range in in the in the world, uh, and the movement between those two landmasses is continuing about 10 10 centimeters a year, um, and scientists have been predicting. Uh, that about once every 75 years or so, there would be a, a major um, uh, earthquake in in, um, in Kathmandu, as indeed they're predicting for a number of, of important population centers around the world. Uh, you can look at Haiti or or, or Tehran, uh, Lima and, and Panang in, in Indonesia
0: are similarly, just literally on the top of these major fault lines. And so can we expect that there are going to be further earthquakes uh, given uh, the situation of Kathmandu now? Or, I mean, is, there, is this something that could be the beginning of, of of a whole succession of quakes and tremors?
3: Well, they're suggesting that although there will be uh, aftershocks, and there have been a number of aftershocks which have seriously frightened the, the local population, that this will probably calm down for a bit. But the damage is, is, is absolutely huge. The effect has been is to re- rip a sort of tear through Kathmandu, lift one side of the city by 10 uh, feet along a a, a tear of of 75 uh, miles, a really colossal uh, damage uh, being done.
0: Uh, Rahul uh, Bedi uh, in Delhi, uh, is it uh, fair to say that given the response uh, by India that uh, Nepal can depend on the generosity of its neighbours both uh, in India and indeed in China in its hour of need?
4: Yes, yes, very definitely. Uh, India, in fact, was very quick off the mark. Uh, the earthquake took place at about noon. Uh, I think the first uh, Indian Air Force relief flight was airborne by about uh, 4 o'clock uh, the same day. Uh, and there are uh, subsequent teams and aircraft going in and out of India. Indian Army units are in uh, helping with the relief uh, operations. China is also similarly helping. So is Pakistan. So is Bangladesh. So is Sri Lanka. So. Uh, There is no way that uh, Nepal can uh, get out of this crisis immediately uh, or in the long term. And when I say long term, I mean over the next uh, 10 or even 15 years without uh, assistance from its neighbors as well as assistance from overseas.
0: And finally, Rahul, in terms of uh, popular uh, responses to uh, to the tragedy in the region, how have the peoples of the region been responding to what's been happening?
4: very favorably. In fact, everybody is in a state of shock. Uh, Even the common person on the street is in a complete state of shock as to the the extent of the tragedy in Nepal. Uh, And uh, everybody is wanting to contribute um, financially as well as in any other way that they possibly can. Uh, But uh, again, these contributions are going to, I think, take a bit of time, because, uh, as you said in your introduction, Nepal is still uh, jammed up as far as the airport and the roads are concerned. So I think over the next few months, uh, we will see an outpouring of not only relief but I think an outpouring of even volunteers to go and help uh, the Nepalese recover from this uh, huge, huge, enormous tragedy.
0: Uh, Rahul Bedi in Delhi and Patrick Smith here in Dublin, thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories on irishtimes.com and you can contact us at worldview at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Gary White and from me, Dennis Staunton, Goodbye.